This series is produced by the folks at Vic Health, Victoria's health promotion agency. I, I live by the motto challenge accepted. That that was really my <laughs> after the crying when I was young and people telling me no, I just thought, you know what? Challenge accepted. Like no one gets to define your dreams and visions. Hello and a big welcome to In Good Health. I'm your host, Dr. Sandro. I'm a medical doctor, public health expert, Big Health CEO, and a foodie. Well, today I'm very excited to welcome our special guest, Sarah Lowe. Sarah is the CEO of the South Metro Junior Football League, the largest independent junior sporting organization in Australia, making her the first female CEO of an AFL league. Sarah has also been a multicultural ambassador, played local footy, and coaches a women's masters side, the Waverley Warriors. With over 32 years of experience in sports management and leadership, Sarah's main goal for the league is to assist junior clubs in becoming more sustainable and continuing to grow sport participation. In today's episode, we'll call Sarah and discuss how sport can be used as a tool to create meaningful social connections, the importance of strong role models, as well as generating social change through the world of sport. Let's give her a call. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. It's awesome to have you here. We've been a big fan of your work for a number of years now and really following you as a, as a leader and the important impact that you're having across the community. What does sport mean to you as, as an individual? Oh, thanks, Sandra. Yeah, for me, sport, it, it's been my whole life. I think one thing for me, it's it's been a big social connector and a, and a real equaliser, especially from a, a grassroots sports perspective. Really, at this level, it's in its purest form of, of social connection before it get, starts to get a little bit too serious or can get a bit too serious. So friendships are, are really getting made. Some really important lessons at the grassroots, especially for the young kids, to think about things like teamwork and, you know, effort and contribution and dedication and all that is all together. So when, you, when I kind of reflect on this and think about other things that could be happening in your life, you know, what greater way than in sport to do you actually get that type of experiences, especially at grassroots level? So I think from a personal perspective, though, from, you know, being so young when I came to Australia in, in particular, it really was my saviour. So if you can kind of imagine, you know, coming from a, a different country where sport isn't too big and, and you come into Australia, especially to Melbourne, where sport is is everything. It's, it's a cultural thing in Melbourne, in Australia, uh, really for me. Uh, my, my mother actually migrated here back in the late 1950s and she actually got a, a nursing scholarship at, at the Austin Hospital and oh. she was engaged to dad but she actually came out here to us to Melbourne by herself for three years as an 18 year old so yeah. so inspiring and and she got to see exactly what sport was about so she was actually a really good sports person in Malaysia so she was really nervous about leaving her her fiance at the time as an 18 year old leaving her family and and uh, I think coming to a, a, a city like Melbourne where there was football and cricket and she, she always told these stories about going to the MCG and watching cricket and football matches. And so for her, you know, sport's been her life. And, and I think she just really wanted to share that with my, my two older brothers and myself. Uh, when we first came to Australia, she really talked about this, uh, you know, assimilation piece in the sense of a, a positive assimilation. She knew mm. it'd be really tough for us to, 
to come from an Asian country, we were really lucky because we English was our spoken language anyway, so that wasn't really a barrier for us. Uh, but to, to be able to get straight into sport, and, and we didn't know what assimilation meant, and we didn't know what she was talking about. She just said, look, you know, the best way to, to fit in is to make friends. And the best way to make friends in Australia, especially Melbourne, uh, is to start playing sport. Play sport. So, <laughs> yeah, that for me, it, Sandra, it's just been my saviour, and it's something I just fell in love with. Tell me about those early years for you, Sarah. So you're you're growing up, you had, I think, some older brothers and you all loved sport. What was it that you loved and what were those early years like playing sport as a newly arrived migrant in Australia? Yeah, well, we uh, moved to Noble Park North and, and mum and dad are still there and, and we only live about 500 metres from, at the time, what was called VFL Park. And in January 1977 was the... Uh, the first of the World Series cricket um, matches. So, of course, two older brothers, they're actually six and seven years older, so literally a mm. generation older than myself. And, and I just love my brothers and looked up to them. So if I wanted to play with them and all they did was sport, <laughs> you know, for a young girl, if, you know, what, what do you do but play sport and join in? So, you know, during that January, that first summer we came in, we, we were cricketers. So we played cricket and I was a fast bowler. So none of us would ever be on the same team. You know, one was Australia, that was me. My <laughs> other brother was West Indies and the other brother was was England or the world. Um, and when it came to football, we, could, we couldn't barrack for the same team either because <laughs> we were just too competitive. Uh, but, but those are the sorts of wonderful things that sport can do. You know, mm. it's a little bit of friendly competition. It's a bit of rivalry. Uh, it's a little bit of, you know, getting really, really healthy. So I think those really early lessons of physical activity and, and what it did for our mental health. And I think I think about just how it impacted me being so young, um, you know, just trying to fit in and make friends. So mm. for me, it was it was really a challenge to be starting school. I didn't do school in Malaysia, so I went straight to grade one in Melbourne. And you have to think about the 70s where there, there was no Asian uh, migration. The, the first migration came in the 80s with the Vietnamese. Mm. So really at that 70s, we were it. So we really stuck out like a sore thumb, like a really – it must have been so unusual for, for, for other Aussie kids to, to, to kind of see this um, Chinese-Malaysian um, family move in and start playing sport. It would have just been absolutely hilarious to watch. But all the other kids in the neighbourhood just started joining in. So that was the, that was the good part. But the, the racism or – what what I probably like to call more ignorance because you know racism is a pretty pretty strong um, terminology. But for there, I can look back in my older life now and just think about the ignorance. For we were just different. We looked different, mm. and people called it out. So imagine as a six year old being called these names. You're trying to fit in. So my mother knew this because she lived here. So that's why she said, you know, play sport because you'll really make friends and people in Australia really appreciate sports people. So. Uh, but that was really the, the biggest challenge um, for me was facing all this perceived racism and bullying and name calling. And I, mm. I found it really hard. And, and I, I can be really upfront and honest with a lot of people now when I speak about this. I think I, I actually pushed a lot of those um, feelings and emotions quite deep down. And it wasn't till I'm a lot in this last, especially five years being in football, it, so much of this gets talked about. And, and so I have to talk a lot about racism and, and sport and how it connects people. I'll just share this one quick story with you. I think you'll enjoy this one. Because I was so young, uh, my parents actually didn't tell me that we were migrating to Australia because what, what does migration mean to a six-year-old? They, they just told mm. told me um, that we were going on a holiday. So my, my little oh, joke wow. in life is I, 
I, I think I'm actually the person that's been on the longest hi um, holiday in history, <laughs> um, which has been for over 40 years. So, it, hey, what a great place to have a holiday, right? <laughs> Good on you, Sarah. Um, so, Sarah, I mean, it is true, though, when we think about sport, you know, I think particularly until only a few decades ago, sport was still thought of as being kind of masculine. And 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 there have been some fairly significant and continue to be some fairly significant challenges, whether it's ignorance and you know, or racism or or, or things in between. I mean, what was it like in the seventies and eighties being interested in sport as a as a as a Malaysian Australian or an Australian of Malaysian you know, um, origin or background, and a female, and and an emerging leader. Because you you talk you talked in previous interviews about sort of these layers of of challenges. Take us back to you know those early years. Because I, I want to ask you about you know obviously well hopefully uh, it's a very different experience now as a as a you know as a really respected and and very senior leader in the space. But what was it like starting out you know on this path so passionate about sport? so passionate about community, but with those layers of challenges that, that you've talked about of being a woman and looking different in society in the, in, in, in the 70s in Australia. When my mother talked about assimilation to all of us, and that included dad, because dad didn't actually come with mum in the 50s when she was lucky enough to study here. So dad took this quite seriously. And I think it took him probably about six months of working uh, to get our first car. And, you know, he bought an absolute lemon. I think it was a fourth-hand fourth um, Holden Kingswood station wagon. So he took this whole being Australia and assimilating pretty seriously from mum. But uh, I still remember um, every Friday night. So when mum and dad finished working, they um, they really wanted us to see Victoria in particular. So dad, mum and dad would just say, look, they, they come back about 7, 8 o'clock at night and we'd pack the we'd pack the car and he'd, dad would just say, do you want to turn left or right? And and we'd be driving through till about midnight and for hours on end, we didn't know where we'd turn up. And I think that's where our love of <laughs> travelling around and camping and, you know, we we love caravan parks. We we just love going to different places. And, uh, and that was all right at night. And when we would get to a spot, and, and I now know the reason why we ended up at caravan parks and, and motels, is that I didn't realise at the time how much the way we looked was impacting the way uh, we were being treated. And mm. what I mean by that is that we would go to places and they would say, you'd see the vacant sign at the front, we'd go, Dad would go in and they'd say, sorry, um, there's no vacancy. And that the only places that would take us were caravan parks. And I never really realised that till I was a lot older. And Dad would share these stories. And then when it came to daylight, when we were driving around country towns in particular, mm. he would get pulled over by the cops. And oh, wow. it, it wouldn't actually really matter why. It would just be he, he'd ask the reason why. And Dad is a really safe driver, very law-abiding and I used to sit up the front because he used to be three-seater up the front, so I used to love sitting at the front watching Dad driving. And uh, the, the the police would say, oh, you didn't have your indicator on or you didn't have this on. And it was just, you know, it just wasn't true. Mm. So you get all these tickets and imagine, like, your dad who's your hero you look up to and, you know, you see the police who are who are really that law enforcer that you respect and then you wonder why. And I, know, I didn't 
as white because I've never really seen myself as Chinese or Malaysian or someone of colour, not really someone who's even a girl <laughs> or anything else. I just see myself as a person. Mm. And I think those are those early learnings. Uh, but and, and those are those really horrible stories where I look back now and, and just and that's why I call it ignorance, Sandro, because, mm. you know, you have to imagine what it was like in the 70s. If we were it for about three or four years, I, I don't actually blame people. For, for the way, you know, they reacted because we were different. And so I look back at all the, the new emerging cultures that come through now and, and all sorts of different cultures coming through and everyone's facing the same thing. Uh, but from the personal perspective, when I started sport, I, I actually started with little athletics. I was, I was desperate to do any sport. And Dad just, he was so worried. He actually didn't want to take me. So you know that ad that's on TV now with the Google ad um, with, with the dad who's, you know, teaching his daughter how to, kick a footy and all that sort of stuff. That that was literally my dad and I back in the 70s. I just wanted to play everything. <laughs> and he had this fear about taking me anywhere because he worked in a factory as a cleaner. So, and and he was called all sorts of names and struggled. And so he thought, you know what, my little girl, how do I protect her? She doesn't have the two older brothers that can protect themselves. And of course, I was just wide-eyed little kid who just wanted to fit in and wanted to do everything. And, um, you know, and people would just say the strangest and weirdest things about us all the time. You can't play. It, it wasn't just the fact we had to face the racism part first or the ignorance part first. And then it was like girls just don't play sport. Whereas nowadays it's still a little bit about but you're, you're a girl, you can't do that. Mm. In those days it was probably the race thing first before the girl thing next. So it was just excuse after excuse as to why you couldn't fit in. But once we started getting into some sports that accepted me, it just didn't matter because people were more interested in actually having people who were, who 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 really wanted to develop themselves in sport. Why I say sport was my saviour. We know sport and physical activity are good for our bodies and our health, but they're also good for our minds. Organised sport has many psychological and social benefits, especially for children and young people. In fact, research done by KPMG Australia revealed that one of the numerous benefits of sport is increased social connections and inclusion. So how can the sports sector in Australia help to influence positive social change within our society? Sarah is here to share her experiences. And it's amazing, you know, it's so powerful when you talk, Sarah, um, and the couple of times I've come to see you or we've met and I've had the privilege of coming down and seeing, you know, seeing you in uh, action uh, with with the kids and the community at, at your league. But I think, you, you know, you so powerfully capture it there where you don't see yourself as Malaysian or Chinese or Australian or even a woman, you see yourself as a person. And that to me really captures the essence of you as a leader as well the way you lead the way that you lead as a as a as a community leader but as a ceo can you talk to me about how those early life experiences how your own experiences have shaped you as a very successful uh ceo now I think everything you just said has actually defined me as a person. And, and again, you, you don't kind of reflect on this until you get older. I, I just knew all I wanted to be was a football player when I was seven. But I think everything you just said just 
it, it really does define who you become. And I think people who have heard the story before know about the very famous part about my grade one experience when I my female teacher, um, who was so supportive of me, said, go go ask the PE teacher, you know, to book to join the football team, not the boys team, just to go join the football team. And she took me to the um, the staff room to ask, and and he just laughed. I just said, I want to play footy, and he just said, you know, I think famously people know this story, it'll be over my dead body before a girl ever plays footy in this country. So the celebration of my role in 2016 when I, um, I, I didn't know this, I became the first female CEO um, in the AFL system, uh, you know, a month later after I started the announcement of the AFLW competition. So I think a lot of you know, for me, where where girls were told they couldn't play, that that defined me. I'm so blessed to be, you know, operating this massive junior league where I get to talk to the young kids and parents, and and parents just let their kids do whatever they want. It's it's wonderful in the sense of dream big. Mm. So to be told, you know, no, you can't. I cried. I cried for weeks. My dad and mum, you couldn't even get me to school after that. I was absolutely shattered. So I can't play for the St Kilda Football Club. You mean I'll never wear the red, white and black? I didn't understand it. So when that person of responsibility that you look up to, he was the PE teacher. I just loved him until that day when it was like, you can't because mm-hmm. you're a girl. And I understand not everyone has been as fortunate as to have some good male role models. But having two older brothers and my dad, you, you know, it was really challenging because they were always picking on me. But um, <laughs> that, that kind of makes you stronger. But not once. I have very strong memories and not not once, always my brothers and my dad in particular, my mum was always a supporter, is that don't ever let being a girl define you that you can't do anything you want. Mm. And that, imagine like... 12, 13-year-old boys telling their little sister or, or the dad's telling their, their the daughter, you know, you can do whatever you want. This is back in the 70s. It, it, it's so mm, powerful. It's and I, can't, I do love sharing that story because, you know, if you're lucky to have great role models, I just I, I just adore my, you mm. know, my brothers. I look up to them. So don't ever tell them that. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> How is that influencing, though, your, your, your role now? Because you, you, you mm-hmm. are a force of nature and you're using your role as CEO of South Metro Junior Football League to to create so much good for so many young people. What do you see as the potential of of sport for the year in the years ahead for tackling these really tough, you know, stubborn uh, injustices, you know, prejudices that continue to exist in in our societies? You're right. In this in this position, I didn't realise how large this this junior football league was. It's it's the biggest one in the country. So, for me, the the things that I get to influence now is active participation, making mm. friends, having connections. Last year, especially with COVID, the, the big thing with mental health, and you knew you knew this because I invited you to come down. <laughs> Thank you for coming down and remembering that no no one in um, Metro Melbourne, in particular Victoria, got to play football, mm. and and the mental health on those young kids absolutely broke my heart so I refused to cancel the season and as you know football normally finishes in September and no one got to play so in November when we had some clean space we created this program called football for fun and it was for free it was four weeks (laughs) there was no scoring and I thought I had this idea about mental health that kids were struggling from what I heard and we had 227 teams turn up for four straight Sandro and you know and now incredible the AFL tells me that that is single-handedly one of the most important retention pieces that they've now adopted 
because there was a big drop in participation from last year to this year, you know, mm. up to 30% drop across the board. For us, we haven't faced that that much. Ours has only been less than 5%. And it's because we ran those type of programs and it's become this lovely piece about mental health and all our clubs and parents tell us, Sarah, that was the single most important thing that happened last year for our kids and, and for us. quick pause here to tell you about something exciting happening at VicHealth. On Tuesday 26th of October, we launched the Big Connect, our first major investment as part of Future Healthy. We know that the mental well-being of young people has taken a hit, and so we're going to create more than 100,000 new social connections for young people right across Victoria. We're calling for organisations to help us go big. We have up to $5 million in funding and up to $250,000 per project. So if you or someone you know is doing amazing work or has a great idea to improve the social connection of young people across Victoria, apply now. Applications close on Tuesday 7th of December. Head over to vichealth.vic.gov.au forward slash bigconnect to learn more. So I've got a couple of questions. The first is from Deepa. Um, If you're a small sporting association with little resources or a small organisation, what are the first steps that you can do to make sure that you're organisation is more inviting for those who normally wouldn't walk through the doors? Um, that, that's a great question because uh, I get a, this a fair bit because we, we deal with our 25 member clubs and, and so my advice always to them is start from build the foundations. So this to me is a philosophy of life or just business is uh, my advice always to businesses is what's your foundation? So your foundations are based on, you know, some basic uh, governance of policies and processes and um, and making sure that you, you do your core business correctly. So whether it's finance or whether it's the program or service you run, you know, those things are really important. But from from the perspective of when we try to tell a story or or, or build your brand or build what your, your, your small club's about or your sport's about uh, and to attract more participation is making sure that you're visual. So, again, the if you look on our website or our social media, you know, we, we make sure that the images that we use are representative of society today, not just society or, you know, in our region. Our re- region is very... Uh, is, is very diverse. So if I just have traditional looking people, whatever we think that is, that are playing footy, which is generally boys <laughs> of a certain age group, that doesn't attract the girls to playing. That that whole element of that you can't you can't be what you can't see is so mm. true. So little little um, Chinese Malaysian kid like me, I was looking at nothing that looked like me at all <laughs> back in the seventies. So if they keep seeing that that traditional um, Caucasian imagery, that's not um, that's not going to be very attractive and that's not going to entice mm. anyone to, to participate or join. The final question comes from Joe, and I have to say I wonder at myself too, Sarah, you know, when we're talking about sport as a tool for social change, you know, you, you pretty much embody it. What, what motivates you to stay on the path? How, how do you maintain your incredible energy and passion? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, all I ever wanted to do was play football and now I get to manage 
you know, a, a really big junior football league. Um, so for me, I just, I always say to people, you know, your job, don't make it your job. Like, what is it you want to do? Uh, sometimes parents don't really like me because I really encourage young kids to say, what is it you think you really want to do? What do you want to be? What are you passionate about? Because when you do that, it, it just, life is just, is so much easier. So for me, I wake up every day just going, how how good is this? E- even as as difficult as lockdown is and COVID and, and everything else, that that is what inspires me. It's my life ethos. I think that's really the key. Well, Sarah, a huge thank you for joining us today. It's been awesome to talk to you. We really can't thank you enough for your incredible leadership and for lending us a little bit of your time. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening to the In Good Health podcast. To find out more about the work that we do, head over to our website, vichealth.vic.gov.au. Oh, and make sure you check us out on social media under at VicHealth.